Hi and welcome to the latest episode of Dynamics Update. And tonight we're going to speak about 10.0.21. And as usual, I have my colleague Gustav Sundblad with me. Hi, Gustav. How are you today? Hello, Yvonne. Thank you. I'm very good today. Thank you. That's uh, It's been a little while. It's been summer and a lot of backlogs, uh, but uh, I know you have all been busy during the summertime, so it's good to be back and good to be reviewing the documentation and reading up on all the fun stuff again. Right? Yeah, good to be back. I've missed yeah. it, really. All right, so as usual, we are going to go through the, the in our perspective, most important features of 10.0.21. Um, so uh, I'll let you start this time. Thank you. I can also add that I know we're a little bit behind here. 21 is coming pretty soon, so um, hopefully a new episode will be coming shortly uh, covering, covering version 22. But as you also know, sometimes we pick up things a little bit from this version and that version, so don't be too hung up on the versions. But um, my first... Um, Small one, and these are not in well in any specific priority. It's uh, commerce related, so not uh, that much of a skrell. Um, it's the support of an inventory movement between in-store locations in POS, and this sounds like a reasonable thing to do. What what, what does it mean? What it means is usually because when you deliver something to POS, you, you normally have one location, like the store. I remember one um, inventory uh, project I had. They had one inventory location. It was called the big pile. And that was everything in the middle of the warehouse floor where everything was. It was a pile. There was no control whatsoever. But in the store, usually uh, you have it in the store, but then you need to know exactly where in the store is it. So this is a way to make it easier to use transfer journal capability to drive the movement processing from the commerce headquarters. So let's say that you scan a product that you want to move from a return location to the sales floor or a damaged location to sales floor or a very common scenario is to like influencer um, reserved. So someone is calling in and saying, calling this store and saying this particular item is now reserved for this Instagram photo or whatever. Then you put the item, you put it to that quantity, and it's actually physically reserved at a specific location, making tracking a lot easier. And you can actually do it within within the uh, normal post operation. So it's a nice, nifty little feature coming, I would say. I think it simplifies, and I've seen this demand a lot coming as customizations. So if you're running for it, uh, hold off and please investigate the standard function first. Yes. All right. So, uh, so uh, my first one uh, is actually also retail related, and from my perspective, this is a bit fun because this is actually a new commerce store app. So the in in store point of sale app is changing, and I would say that it's changing in a rather big way because prior to this, we have had two different versions of the, the in-store software. We've had the MPOS, which is a Windows application, you know, those modern ones that you find in the Windows store. And then we ha we've had something called the CloudPOS. And the CloudPOS is, is just a web page. And the problem with the CloudPOS has been that if you have a CloudPOS, you can't actually have directly connected hardware to the CloudPOS. You need to have something called a, a a shared hardware station in the store. So you need to have a server 
which speaks to all of the hardware, all of the cash registers and printers and everything like that. But on the other hand, you're free to have the cloud pause on basically anything because you can speak directly to something in the store instead. But the difference now is that the new new software that is replacing the MPOS is actually the CloudPOS. So what they have done is that they have actually built the wrapper around the CloudPOS and are now uh, distributing it as a, uh, as a store app. So you're running the CloudPOS even though you're installing it on your Windows computer. And the fun stuff here is that it actually has its own hardware station. So even though you're running the CloudPost, it has its own built-in hardware station, which means that it can actually replace the MPOS, even though it's the CloudPost. And that means that you only need to build one POS client. Yeah, and, and for me, if I can iterate onto that, I think this ties also into something we brought up, I think, uh, last time. Um, the independent packaging framework, which we've been discussing, and we've actually been working a little bit with it as well. It's not really ready yet, as far as I can tell. Um, but it goes to that same reason, right? You have one package. You still have to have the package installed, <clears throat> but then you have an extension package uh, with your custom code. That, that, that one you can replace, but you cannot run one without the other. So you need to have the deployment and the pipelines, all of that stuff is still applicable. It's just that you need to be aware that the the, um, uh, the sign package that you produce is an extension Apex package. It's not as, as it used to be like a merged MPOS binary package, like you say. So there's a whole big difference here in that um, uh, that's coming. I would argue that make sure that you test this properly because we we have been running into issues where custom code that you want to merge to this new framework is not ready to be merged um, so it looks like it's simple enough in the pipeline and it looks to be okay but make sure don't make sure to run to your normal test cycles and make sure to reach out to microsoft product teams as well because they are very uh, helpful and want to to make sure we get this fixed because it is a new platform really a new architecture and some of the legacy components and legacy customizations will not work without rewrote, rewriting, basically. Yeah, you, ha- you really have a, a good point here because uh, first of all, this store app is, uh, this commerce app is still in preview. So mm. it's not really for production use. But if you're running MPOS today, I would absolutely encourage you to start testing it out. Exactly. Uh, may- maybe not deploy it in all stores on all, all point of sale terminals, but... I mean, at least use it in your test environment. Maybe even you should maybe you should even try it in like one one terminal in each store or something like that. Because the point you're making here is is very important, and that is that Microsoft is really, really, really interested in getting feedback on this. And yeah. the faster we tell them that something is not working, <laughs> the faster they can fix it. And the good thing here is they can fix it directly in the on server side they don't need to fix the client because the client is just a web view wrapper which means that rolling out uh, updates to to this uh, client is actually easier than it used to be yeah that's uh, one, one little thing to add there is that that's a truth with the modification there, there are some dependencies to local packages for 
for uh, car terminals, etc. So it's it's complicated, but the point is that it's moving towards this. And if you have few customizations today within UI and like a very non-customized MPOS version, I think that transition is easier for you than if you have a lot of UI comp components that are dependent on on objects or frameworks that is being deprecated. So uh, the point here is just to make sure to read up on it because it's also a different difference when it comes to code signing, etc. I've been working with this quite some uh, quite a lot lately uh, with good and bad results. <laughs> but um, make sure you read and understand and then discuss with the Microsoft product teams because they can help you. Uh, but if everything is going well, that it is this way, this is the way they're moving towards. So at some point you will have to take an action and the, yeah. the sooner the better, depending on how much resources you have. Yes, and, and also the car terminal uh, issue that you brought up here is also a good point to make because there is actually one car terminal provider which is built in by default. And, yeah, and, Adrian. and Adrian, exactly. And if you're not using that one, you need to build it uh, on your own. But that is also, if you're thinking about using POS in Dynamics and you haven't really decided on your payment provider yet, I, I would say that this is actually an argument for going with the one that is built in in that case. If there are no other downsides, that should definitely be the the default uh, selection in this case because that's the one that Microsoft will, will be testing with. Yeah, I agree, but it's all there is always a reality there with like we already have five thousand stores that have the other ones. <laughs> yeah, that's but you make a good point. If you're starting up or if you're coming from nothing, I mean, then of course you should have a very clear and good argument uh, business wise not to not go with Adian, but. In many cases, especially in Norway, Nordic countries, we have an established, um, yep. exactly, exactly. another established competitors that I think uh, are. That's usually the case where where, where I can see. Point point being, um, don't take it as uh, plug and play. You should never do that anyway. But um, it's the the strategy and the architecture, from my perspective, is valid and it's the correct way moving forward to avoid issues moving on when it comes to this whole one version. But moving from this usually highly customized solutions that we have, there, there's a reason retail or commerce did not get locked down at the same time as the back end because all the customizations just didn't catch up, right? So with that said... The more we get to the common one version with um, establishing a routine of extension packaging, everyone is happier. But uh, it's not it's not easy, unfortunately. Um, been negative negative enough now, so that's <laughs> something I can yeah, just jump into something. Yeah, sure. I can. This might sound a little negative though now when I read it, but um, no. But I, I uh, on a personal note, I, I've been working a lot with. Uh, with different e-commerce and um, uh, storefront-facing uh, solutions connected to ERP, and um, one personal note is that it's uh, at least a couple of years back. It's always been the same. Whenever you have meetings with these kinds of um, other pools, sailor uh, sales people or other e-commerce like Magento, uh, well, just name a few. I'm not gonna. Sound like I work at Swedish Radio here. I can't drop names, but but <laughs> my point is, ERP 
from their end has always been like Navision or like Garp. You just send us the ledger. You guys send us the inner table each night and maybe, maybe stock on hand and then we send you the list of orders. And that's also fine. That's that's one way to do it. And I'm not saying it's bad uh, because it works in many ways, um, mainly because these front-end, front-end solutions are often built with a different structure. It's easier for them to build flashy and snazzy websites, etc. But commerce as a platform is an entirely different thing. So it, it requires some explanation to understand, okay, how do you work? Do you really need to have a PIM solution outside of Dynamics? Um, and one, one thing you usually run into when you have retail, fashion retail, I work with a lot, um, you have this colors, right? So you have a black shoe, you have a, a green shoe, you have a red shoe, that's not so complicated. But then you have these colors called uh, Stefan's Fantastic Beach. What color is that? I have no idea. You, you wants, you want to the moon is the color name. Okay, I can guess it's moon colored or maybe gray because you, you it depends on the hairstyle. Point is, it's hard for any system to do some kind of searchable filter on that. I, give, give me all green shoes. Okay, where does Stefan come in? <laughs> uh, so, with that said, you can do it in a number of ways. Mostly PIM systems they have like base colors, uh, swatches is another. And um, now there's a, there's a functionality to configure product dimension values to appear as swatches. So the, from the tedious side, then from where I come from, where you want to track everything down to the minimum skew, um, they are still following the inventory dimension, small, medium, large, black and brown, etc. But you can select and you can set them as swatches and then you get a visual preview of a product variation. So you can search using like hex colors. Um, so you can group dimensions in that way and call call it whatever it needs to be called, but it's still searchable and appearable. Even if you're not using the uh, B2B e-commerce solution, that still helps a lot in any e-commerce solution. If you have that data and if you're product team is already doing a lot of that work within Excel or the, you don't have a PIM, you can do it in Dynamics. Um, that's one feature I think is, it, it looks good. And But again, there are of course a number of PIM solutions like InRiver PIM out there that are excellent in this and they do this all the time. But if you don't have that, and maybe you, you, need, you have this need to, to start doing this, maybe you should investigate at least the standard functionality in Dynamics first. Um, it requires some work, but then once that work is done, you have a commerce engine available giving you all across all your channels whatever data you need to brand it, and you can send it, send it to your well consignment suppliers or whatever. So I, I think it's um, a lengthy word for, wording for me here, but I think it's nice, even though dynamics and commerce is catching up as a commerce solution, so to speak. Uh, what commerce has that no other commerce solution has is, is that it's also a full-blown ERP, so you can have a fully connected experience. I think that's um, um sound like a salesperson here, but I think it's a, I, I think that one was a very nice feature, and I will look forward to to working with it um, to see if it can be done. All right, so one of the features that I've been talking about a lot in in the pod are actually electronic reporting. 
And in this version, there is, of course, a whole bunch of new electronic reports. But one of the ones that I focused on was mainly because there was a webinar here in Sweden uh, the other week about tax declaration, which doesn't sound that exciting if you're not working with finance at least. But in this case, it's... Not I, you, <laughs> in this In this case, it's actually... I, I Even I can think that this is actually exciting because <clears throat> what it actually comes down to is that it's globalized, standardized VAT declaration flow, which can actually build a VAT declaration and send it all in one go, so to speak, mm. which I think is good. Okay. Uh, they actually released this for... I was in look uh, looking in the in the library there was like uh, I think there was like 10 12 15 countries or so which this is already done in so I think this is this is the way to go I understand that in some cases this standardized version won't work and that is mainly because um, something has been differently set up in the back end but what I think is important when we when we take a look at these, if you're doing the implementation for Sweden or Norway or wherever, please have a look at these declaration forms first, because it might actually affect how you build your um, uh, like account structure and so on. Because it, I think it's really important that that if we can adjust something on the back end to have these documents work more or less out of the box. I think that is a good thing because these things tend to drive a, a lot of work. And also, if you're not aware of these, then you may, might actually structure things differently just because that's the way you're used to doing things and not because any reason. It's just the way that you usually do things. <laughs> but if you could adjust it, just a tiny part, which means that it actually fits into this electronic template, I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, I, I agree, uh, and that's it's a very good segue as well over to I think you mentioned that tax doesn't sound that fun. Yeah, you're speaking to a, to a guy who's been working with customs codes and and HS codes for a couple of years now in my in my career. And I was actually I, I had a standing invitation to the Tullmessa, the general uh, get together of all customs related entities in Sweden. I never went. I was going to go there and it sounds fun. I mean, nice people, nice uh, all around. But um, in the end, I never went. But I think some some of those things are fascinating. I, all of the calculations and regulations and uh, especially when you go globally. I mean, you have uh, I, th I think Indonesia has a different set of GS codes which you need to calculate. So it's all it's all complicated. But one feature which is added here, which I think is nice um, in version 21, is the post on hand adjustments using codes connected to offset accounts. So, and this sounds boring, sorry, but but it is not. It's um, uh, whenever you post an inventory adjustment, uh, you usually will set, you set up an offset account based on either item group. There are a number of setup that you can do, and you can select an offset account while they do it. But here it's possible to connect recent codes to both warehouse and retail store workers to do that. So whenever they do an inventory adjustment, which might be stock intake, you didn't, we didn't receive as much as was expected. Uh, you have loss of goods. There are a number of like damaged, stolen, expired, and you can assign an offset for each reason. 
So it, this is also part of the, uh, the warehouse management mobile app you mentioned before, I think, giving it the users the reason to do it. And you get much more um, insight in each, and you get it posted automatically. So you lower the amount of time that the poor people at, um, well, accounts receivable, this would be, or accounts uh, payable, doesn't really matter, the finance department, um, their work gets lowered. And because you always have the most truth at point of happening at the occurrence, right? If you need to call someone, hey, yeah, you, you posted this as, as, as a Svin uh, two years ago, two weeks ago. Why? Yeah, let me check my notes. But when you do it automatically and you get it automatically posted, then you can also build workflow for it. You can build data on it. So efficiency, speed, it's clearer. And it's a much more clear process with a small thing. That's just adding it. I, th- I know a lot of people have customizations for this already. So it's a minor thing, but I, I really like uh, when you're able to to connect codes to offset accounts because everything is linked to the ledger. Whatever you do in Dynamics, it's always a pre-system to finance. To, to connect to your anecdote about the customs uh, fair, uh, I would be punished by... Uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually doing other podcasts uh, once in a while. And, and one of the guys there, he is a big fan of logistics. So there is a Swedish podcast co- called Logistikpodden. And he would kill me if I didn't mention Logistikpodden in regards to customs and, and transports and, and so on. So Yeah. Uh, Sounds like uh, he and I should uh, would kick it off. Yeah, it's, it's, a, he, it's a really nerdy one. So it's a, it's an entire podcast with like 500 as, episodes. As opposed to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, the next one on my list is actually a, a really short one. It has to do with barcodes. Uh, so in 10.0.21, we get support for GS1 barcodes. And we also get uh, support for QR codes uh, when it comes to warehouse and inventory and so on. And this was actually uh, brought up by one of my friends, not not colleagues and not uh, g- uh, customers, but actually one of my friends mm. who asked me, when will Dynamics 365 get support for GS1 codes? And it was really nice to be able to say this version that's in preview right <laughs> now. So what's your next one? Uh, I'll take two, uh, two at a time just to, because these are my, my remaining two ones I have right now. They're quite quite easy um one is a minor thing but if you've ever encountered it it's quite big um it's basically changing uh change tracking configuration on the retail transaction tables and anyone who's been working with retail transaction tables know that it's a very very cumbersome effort to get them out exported sent uh get them merged they are I mean, the entities are, there is no standard composite entity for all retail transactions. You need to build it yourself. Um, There is always a business need to track retail sales like every minute, every minute. We need to know how it goes. Um, And until this ADLS um, storage thing is really up and running and we have, we see it working in the data warehouses, um, the most common practice is to use bring your own data warehouse and just push out the data or push out the transactions as they come along. 
Um, and this is working. It's fine. It's stable until it's not, <laughs> because then you have a lot of issues with change tracking retention. If you have, uh, if you're relying on change tracking on your retail transaction, and something happens with a like a whatever log on log off transaction, which is not really important, but uh, for some reason the retention time kicks in, and then you get a full export. A number of issues here. That if you do not have duplicate prevention in place, you need to have a stable process. If you don't, you spend an unnecessary amount of uh, of time, maintenance time, to just to get your transactions out to an external system. You can do it you can, in a number of ways. You can do it within Dynamics, of course, and, and there are many, many ways. But this change, which is coming in ten twenty one, is basically. Um, minimizing the amount of change tracking, how, how much it impacts all of these entities and the underlying tables, because you have a lot of tables which have um, connections to different other tables and then the, the whole enable entire entity export kind of becomes a mess. So I haven't, I don't have any more technical details on this. I'm really interested in seeing how it looks. So I'm going to spend some time on that as soon as I get some time to <laughs> over. Um, but in all essence, it's a performance increase for anyone using and relying on the retail transaction sales entities. And it's all of them, the retail transaction entity, fiscal, custom, GT, tax, income and expense, etc. It's all of them. It's there. So read up on that one. And uh, if you can, or if you're in the middle of uh, setting this up for the first time, maybe see if you can get a preview or postpone it to, to 21 so you don't get unnecessary issues um, that was my first one and I'll just jump right into another one which is related to uh, another fun topic and uh, I think a peep point of view or a uh, favorite point of yours you on one of the microservices uh, that we discussed before the um, inventory visibility app and um, this one is actually um, not gonna see or show how to how to call it it's the um, soft reservation inventory visibility add-in and i'm not going to go into the visibility add-in we've done that before and it's documented it's a very nice little thing i recommend you guys to try to use it if you have a business need but what it does is that whenever an external system would call for on hand at store a they can make what is called a soft reservation so this feature will, cal will basically soft reserve it. It's, it's going to deduct the reserve quantity in near real time within the app, to be clear. And then the external system will create a formal sales order. And this sounds like, yes, this should have, that's just how it should have worked. But, <laughs> but for this tells me that now you can really leverage the inventory visibility app as it's supposed to work because creating and posting an order, reserving it, all of that stuff can be quite slow where it's batch reliant on the P jobs and all the um, conversion jobs running in, in AX or in Dynamics. Uh, this soft reserve is where you might have a third-party pool system or, um, God forbid, another third-party system checking your own hand and saying, okay, we want to buy this. So it's basically creating demand for us and then it will convert it to ready to sell. So you can bring in those soft reservations into your MRP calculation. And, and then if you add on top of that, you add like um, criteria like prioritized customers, 
then you really are in a good spot when it comes to order management, order calculation. So uh, it's, uh, I think it's super cool. And I think it's really worth investing time in and uh, looking at. Yes, I would be stupid to men- not to mention that the fact that if you're curious about the uh, microservices, I'm actually doing a session at DynamicsCon 2021 in September. Uh, so if you're curious, just uh, look into that one. I have one short one at the end, uh, and that has to do with um, feature setup, with uh, status for different new features. Before we've had uh, installed, not installed, uh, preview, and mandatory, there's actually a new one now, and it's called on by default, which means that some features that Microsoft release will actually be set to on by default, which means that they will be turned on, but they won't be mandatory. So that means that you can still uh, turn them off if you if you want to and and i just want to mention that that um, uh, i i i guess that some of you will have like a, a reflex action to turn them off in this case i would say do do the opposite if if they are on by default they're pretty probably pretty safe so just try to test them and keep them on if possible. I know that if things breaks, of course you need to turn them off, but please, please for my sake, try to keep them to on if possible, mm. because that will that will make the list of, of features that you need to test and that you need to verify and that you're having your backlog uh, shorter. And you can uh, bet money on the fact that if they are set to on by default, they will soon become mandatory. All right. So, uh, do you have any last thing to mention? Uh, not for me. That was it. No, I have two small things. Uh, Visual Studio 2019 is now officially supported in uh, as of 10.0.21. And also, if you're running local business data version, that meaning on-prem version of, of uh, Dynamics, please mm-hmm. wait... Uh, with using 10.0.21 because there is actually a known bug which is very much highlighted on the release notes so if you're one of the people who run on-prem you need to investigate this further just as a warning very good yes and with that uh, we are done for today Uh, i hope you uh, had a nice uh, time and we will be back really really soon with 10.0.22 Uh, Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Have a nice day. Bye-bye.